Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Welcome to the Great Women in Compliance Podcast with Lisa Fine and Mary Shirley. I'm Mary Shirley and you can find our podcast on the Compliance Podcast Network with a load of other compliance-centric podcasts, as well as on our very own landing page at Corporate Compliance Insights. You can hear about our origin story there, as well as access uh, all of the podcasts that we've recorded to date. Uh, today, we're very pleased to welcome back Sonia Zeladon, who is speaking with us um, about what it's like to have joined um, the Hershey Company and is sharing um, a lot of her great experiences and some best practices with us. And um, for those of you who caught the last episode, you'll remember that we left off um, with a nod to uh, the code of conduct that Hershey has, which I love um, because it's just got so many um, best practice features about it. So if you're looking for a bit of inspiration to revamp yours, um, I would recommend that um, amongst your reference points. And so along a similar vein, um, Sonia, uh, you also have a really great supplier code of conduct Uh, It looks just as good as your code of conduct. You're really um, easy on the eye and easy to absorb for the the reader. Will you walk us through some of the targeted ways in which you have worked towards building a robust supplier compliance program? Yes. So we're very proud of the supplier code of conduct that was updated this past November of 2019. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, this was in collaboration with our with our CSR um, uh, group, which is really embedded in, in, in ensuring that we provide the best possible um, mechanism that we can comply with all of the international laws that, um, that you know, kind of cover uh, a lot of the cocoa, produ- cocoa producers, right, and it, or, mm. or the ones who purchase uh, the cocoa um, from cocoa farms all, all throughout the world. So we, 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 we're very cognizant of the fact that it's a very challenging environment um, and we do our best to ensure that our suppliers are complying with our guidelines and our in our code of ethics and our supplier code of conduct. So if you you see, I don't you know, when we take a look at it, you know, that we try to align our code with the International Bill of Human Rights, you know, the um, the ILO Declaration of Fundamental Principles and Rights to Work and the OECD guidelines. So all the international guidelines that um that are kind of key when it comes to, you know, the, the, the products that we source from around the world. Um, you know, and, and, and it goes, like I was mentioning in a previous podcast, is to ensure that we push down our, our real ethics and, um, and commitment to, to goodness and doing good for the world. Um, you'll, you know, we're really, really proud of the fact that we try to really have a strong commitment um, against, you know, forced labor and human trafficking, um, mm-hmm. no, no discrimination, uh, making sure that, that we have food safety and quality, um, the environment, land rights, all those things. And then, on, and then of course, you know, that's embedded in, in the supplier code of conduct is our, is our um, overarching code that has all the other elements. Um, but, you know, 
it, it, it is, it, 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 it was a real labor of love and we're really proud of it. And mm-hmm. we, and we hope that, um, it kind of shows, um, and highlights our commitment to all these, all these issues around the world. Yeah, well, I hope it's positive feedback, um, as nerdy as it is, that I uh, <laughs> saw it and thought it was awesome. <laughs> so it was That's appreciated. <laughs> yeah, outside of your company, it was noticed and appreciated. And would you say Wonderful. that the, is the supplier code of conduct at the heart of your supplier compliance program? Is that the, the sort of the fundamental aspect of it or are there other prongs um, that you, you value as well? There, there are other prongs. So, so mm-hmm. this, our supplier code of conduct it goes at, at the heart um, in into ensuring that we that we that you know that, that we push down you know our our commitment. But there are uh, other things as well, right? So we ensure that the contract language is there with all of our suppliers. That um, that our code of ethics is goes goes hand in hand. Mm-hmm. So typically we have we have um, third parties and suppliers not only sign the supplier code of conduct, but also our code of conduct, right? Which is kind of mm. like, you know, without being cliche, like our Bible, right? And, and, mm-hmm. and so, um, you know, I wouldn't say, I think both go hand in hand and yeah. both are at the heart of our compliance program. Yeah, and you, you mentioned partnering with the um, CSR team, which leads really nicely into another question that I have for you. Um, I think it's really important when we're in compliance to not be so narrow in terms of just working uh, very hard on our own initiatives and then pushing them out to people without adequately consulting because a lot of the time we do have overlap with other subject matter experts. In this case, the the CSR team was a a big one for um, a supplier code of conduct and we see a lot of overlap in other areas as well, but also a lot of the time um, our colleagues are our key stakeholders in terms of the uh, eventual audience that's going to have to work with these documents or processes. And so it's key um, to involve them. However, one of the downsides I find is that when there are too many cooks in the kitchen, it can be verging on impossible to get something done because you'll have, you know, one person saying, oh, we need to have something short and snappy and concise. Then someone else will be like, oh, that's just, it does not have enough detail. How are we supposed to guide anyone with, you know, almost nothing here? And so there's this tension between people's different views and approaches and that can drag things out. But then on the other hand, if you don't consult with the right people and you don't foresee um, issues yourself that might be problems further down the track during implementation and rollout, that can also cause delays and then your stakeholders get angry with you because you're foisting something upon them unilaterally, which generally I find does not make one a popular compliance officer. So in light of this, what I feel is a very real balancing issue, um, I'd love to get your advice, Sonia, on how you deal with this type of situation. Where do you find the right balance and how do you know that it's that you've consulted enough and it's time to move on and, and get to the implementation stage? Yeah, and, and and that's a real um, situation, right? And and I, it is we compliance does not work in it's it's not working a bubble, and and I wholeheartedly agree that compliance has to be um, embedded in in the different aspects of the business and other and really 
lean on subject matter expertise in other fields in order to effectively push the program. If we have a compliance program in paper and don't have the commitment and the buy-in from the other stakeholders, it's, it's might as well use the paper as paperweight, right? Or as, mm-hmm. or as fuel to fire. It's, a, it's, it's yeah. worthless. So it's very, very important that um, we get the buy-in from, from our stakeholders, that we collaborate uh, and interact and ensure that, um, that everybody's committed to the end product. In that process, I do also agree that there is that balancing act from over, like the over commitment, or, or should I say, you know, like you said, too many cooks in the kitchen, like, like you know, people putting pen to paper and to the point where um, you're working on, on, on one project for too long and never executing anything. Um, you know, I, what, what helped me quite a bit is having a little bit of project management skills where, mm-hmm. you know, if you right out of the gate, you propose deadlines and timelines and, um, and really keep people, you know, to those deadlines and timelines, knowing in the back that it's going to expand a little more, right. And not be so rigid, but, but having, mm. having some, having, having those kind of guardrails saying, okay, we have to get this pushed up by X date and we have to get, mm-hmm. you know, so, you know, we can disagree and agree a thousand times over, but this has to be pushed out, you know, X quarter or Y date because mm-hmm. otherwise, you know, if you have a bunch of lawyers at the table or a bunch of business people, you know, and nobody's, nobody is, is going to be satisfied um, with the end product because, you know, with, with the knee jerk reaction of making something perfect all the time, um, or, or or not agreeing with the approach, right? And then you're going back and forth and back and forth. There is there is um, you need to have that person who say, okay, guys, this is it, right? Let it it's the you know this is the last edit or the last discussion, and then we have mm-hmm. to move on, and then we have to make a decision. So so for me, it's 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 giving timelines, providing roadmap, and providing um, kind of. Uh, a, a, a list of things that have to be done within a certain period of time and then checking them off as we're going and then periodically checking and say, okay, it's been this amount of time. We really have to get through it and then be accountable um, mm. for the fact that we, where we have not executed uh, on, on timely or appropriately. And then where, we, and then successes, right? Oh, we got this out on time and, and, and properly and, and, and everything was fine. But for the most part, and, and, you know, the positions that I've held, um, people have been really great with that and, um, and, and, and very collaborative. You know, I've been lucky. I have not been at a place <laughs> where people have been, um, you know, not being, not, not being willing to take ownership or to share mm-hmm. ownership or to, to share responsibility. So I've been, I've been fortunate from that sense, but have, have things dragged on for longer than I wish? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but that's normal, right? It's just, it's mm-hmm. just, um, managing, managing people, um, and, and trying to get things out the door. But yeah, I, I love your project management answer because it resonates a lot for me. Um, I've certainly not got this one down yet. It's, um, it's an, it's an area that I, I continue to develop, but one of the things that I've found uh, borderline life-changing has been um, the project management tool of using a RACI chart. 
So defining who's responsible, who's accountable, who will be consulted and who will be informed as part of the project. And outlining that right from the start can really help people to understand, okay, where does my responsibility or my my duty to act begin and where does it end? So um, if you know that you're being consulted with but you're not accountable, that may put the person psychologically in a better position to say, okay, um, I've given my point of view and even if it's incorporated but perhaps um, not fully um, implemented but definitely been considered in some way, that's where my responsibility ends. And because I'm not ultimately accountable, I don't need to push um, for my idea that I think is best to be the one that's chosen. So um, I think your project management um, thought process there is really well aligned with what I found has helped me. And I um, now that I've heard your response and, and thought of it beyond the RACI, um, I'll be looking at more project management tools to, to see how I can be better at maintaining this balance. So thank you for that great answer. And, there, and there's some great ones. Now with technology and, mm-hmm. um, and, and there are some fantastic apps and software for project management without the need of mm-hmm. a project management certification, which in and of itself is super complicated when you start looking at it. But, <laughs> yeah. but these apps, but these apps simplify them so perfectly that, um, that somebody like me who has no prob- project management experience can actually follow through and then we can keep everybody accountable and on track. So I highly recommend it. Uh, uh, we can have this, uh, another conversation altogether about this, you know, project management tools, but, yeah. but definitely highly recommend them. That's interesting. And um, I will be getting in touch with you to to get some um, recommendations because I didn't realize that there were such, I mean, well, of course, you know, there's a reason why there's an app for that. There's such a, an overused phrase. I shouldn't be surprised, but I wasn't aware. So I will definitely check in with you on um, what, what ideas you might have for me on that front. Um, so changing tack a little bit now, um, one of your specialty areas um, is national security. Will you share with us when it's necessary to think about national security as part of a compliance program and how you've assessed um, for those types of risks in the past? Yeah, um, you know, my, in my previous role in, in tech, you know, national security was really mm-hmm. embedded in, in compliance, not mm-hmm. so much in the food sector with Hershey, but in, <laughs> yeah. in you know, I get, you know, the, the Hershey kids is going to get you in some national security situations. I'm kidding. Um, but, um, <laughs> but from a, from a tech perspective, it really, um, drives, um, you know, when, you know, trade sanction, sanction situations where you're trying to import or export products that have the, you know, mm-hmm. technical specifications where they're, they're encrypted or they're used for the military or they're used, or they could be used for nefarious purposes by, by, um, by hunters or, or, or gorillas or military or things like that. Um, those kind of situations have to be really closely monitored by compliance professionals, right? In order to ensure that we are um, not one compliant by our own regulations, you know, from our own respective governments, but that we're not, um, without really thinking three clicks ahead, selling products that could pose a national security um, problem in the future that you may have not even thought about, right? And, uh, um, mm. and give you perfect examples, right? You see it in the news, so many tech companies whose product um, initially were really 
socially driven or connect or, 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 you know, with the purpose of connecting. And then they have been used for tools, you know, um, that, that, that impact, um, you, you know, your country's national security or other countries' national security. Right. Um, so from a compliance, from a compliance perspective, you're kind of trying to look ahead to see whether um, either products that are being in development or products that are being rolled out um, have any of those sort of issues or that you will have or you will encounter those issues as you're pushing them out to the market. Um, fascinating stuff, right? And, and mm. things change every day and technology changes. Um, but that was that was something that was really embedded um, in tech comp in the tech company space that I was work- that I was in. Great. Okay, excellent. And uh, forgive me for another overused phrase, um, but in light of the new normal, how have you redefined both your compliance program goals and personal goals for 2020? Oh, my goodness. So we, there was, and again, not to overuse this word, but I feel like I use it at least five times a day, the pivot, right? We took a pivot, we pivoted and had to address, you know, for the, you know, we had these really lofty goals um, in the second quarter. Uh, and those goals were kind of put in the back burner, right? Because like I mentioned in the previous um, podcast, we had to really address um, pandemic-related situations from a both compliance and privacy mm-hmm. perspective. So, you know, we had to kind of put our our goals um, in the back and, and we had to deal with, um, you know, trying to to deal with all the fires that were happening, right? In, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the pandemic, the health and safety, the pivoting to working from home. Um, we had this, you know, training, fantastic train, 2020 training map Aww. where we were going to go all over the world. Aww. And then the pandemic hit and then we weren't going anywhere. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. things like that, right? And, and it just, you know, if anything else, I always think that compliance professionals need to be adaptable, right? Adaptability. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, mm-hmm. and, and because we were able to adapt really quickly, um, you know, the business and other stakeholders saw that we could be on the forefront of a lot of the, um, a, a lot of the initiatives, right? So we, we, you know, my team pivoted really quickly and started to address COVID issues, um, you know, help with the communication campaign to try to drive out communications and training related to COVID and the pandemic. Like Mm -hmm. I mentioned in the other part, policies, procedures, ensuring that we were embedded in all those decisions and being Mm -hmm. and had a seat at the table, um, you know, really drove that. But that put everything else, you know, second. Um, Right now, now that we're kind of on autopilot, um, with that part of um, of stuff, at least you know, hopefully, knock on wood, nothing you know blows up. You know, that has to do with the with the pandemic. But now, we're now we're mm-hmm. we shifting and refocusing on um, driving, you know, tra- trainings and and policies and and everything else, and just shifting training to more virtual, a lot more different communication. Um, so those kind of things, you know, shifted. And from a, and from personal goals, I think. Um, the the George Floyd issues and the race matters issues mm-hmm. that kind of came up were mm-hmm. did like really honed in on my personal goals for 2020 to mm-hmm. ensure that I continue to drive diversity into our professions that I continue advocating for those who don't have a voice that mm-hmm. I continue to 
um, ensured that I increased the pipeline, right? That I reach down and I pull up um, all different types of diversity, women, um, mm-hmm. LGBTQ, um, mm-hmm. all different types, because we really, the, the voice of diversity is important. And we've been, we have a lot of work to do in this country and people like me, um, and others really need to, to, to be the voice of those who are not heard. Finally, the question that I think we've all been dying to know about, what are the chocolatey perks of working at Hershey's? Well, I can tell you that in the first couple of months I was working at Hershey's, <laughs> I swear, they, they call it like the Hershey 15 because <laughs> there is so much candy. <laughs> There is so much candy. No, um, but, you know, unfortunately, because the pandemic has been closed, but you you get to sample all the new products that are before Ooh. anyone else does. So so we we get the, the and the products who are, who are sold outside of your own regions. Right. So we have a little store in, in in our main office that has all the products that are sold around the world, which is very different. Right. You you you'll mm-hmm. in, in certain parts of the world. um because of palettes and, and, and likes and, and, and things like that, they're slightly mm-hmm. different than in other places. So you get to, you get to taste, um, the different products. You have unlimited amounts of candy and, and snacks, um, and, and really, really, really generous discount to, to, to buy lots of candy for your friends and family. <laughs> wow. So, yes. I have a sweet tooth, so that sounds like heaven. Let me know when you're next hiring. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for ending that one on such a fun note. Uh, Really appreciate you taking the time uh, to do a two-part series with us, Sonia. You're amazing. The work you do is amazing. Thank you so much for your contribution to the community, both within your company and outside, to help those um, amplify their voice. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Well, dear listener, before we wrap up for today, wanted to share an idea with you, and it stems from uh, the book How Women Rise, which was uh, published in the last couple of years, and um, it focuses on some of the habits that we women um, have in the workplace that are more of a hindrance than a help. Uh, And habit number four is building rather than leveraging relationships, which you may be guilty of. And it's not a bad thing, of course, to build relationships. And many of us do them for um, reasons well beyond the work sphere. We we do them because we genuinely enjoy um, meeting with a lot of the people in our professional capacity that make our hearts sing um, on the personal front and, and people who share the same values as us. However, it seems that our gentlemen counterparts are a lot better at leveraging the relationships that they've built over the years um, and Mm. using them mm -hmm, to further their career goals. So when women are asked why it is that they're uncomfortable with um, sort of banking in some of their relationships and leveraging them more, the typical responses are, I don't want others to think that I'm using them. I don't want to seem self-serving. I'm not a hustler. I want to be seen as genuine and authentic. And I can very much um, relate to some of those reasons. And um, I think what's important for us to remember on the flip side is that a lot of the people that we've built relationships with, um, they feel uh, the authenticity um, of those relationships. They know that you're genuine and that means that they really want to help and give you a leg up where they can. Um, so if they can see an opportunity to help you, a lot of people 
will really want to step forward and do that. However, I understand that uh, remembering that may not be enough. So I have an idea for you, um, and this is from Adam Grant, the organizational psychologist who I, I refer to a lot because I think he's awesome, um, and, and his work is very directly related to how we can prosper in the workplace, both men and women. And I read in one of his books about reciprocity rings, and a reciprocity ring is the idea where you explicitly ask for something, you vocalize what it is that you want, and then other people in the community listen in and see how they can help you. So the whole point um, is essentially to, to be self-serving and to give back at the same time. So we actually started up a reciprocity ring in our Great Woman in Compliance podcast community on LinkedIn. Feel free to jump in and join us if you're not already a member and see if you can con contribute to the conversation. So I wanted to share this with you because if the idea of leveraging your relationships makes you feel a little bit icky, um, what about starting a reciprocity ring? So you're showing that you're giving back to the community first and foremost. Every time you see someone put up their hand and, and have an ask that you can help with, um, you help them out, do them a favor in some way. Um, and then when you're feeling comfortable and hopefully you're feeling comfortable pretty early on, um, sing out to the world what it is that you want and um, the universe will be listening because that's basically that um, those relationships, those people that you've built around you. Um, if you have success with this or just feeling encouraged um, to, to leverage your relationships a little more and, and do so in a way that you don't feel as uncomfortable and, and share some of your ideas with us, we'd love to hear from you. We always love your feedback and uh, thank you so much um, for listening in. And, and all your support as always. Uh, we will be back next time. See you then. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.